This is Get to Know an Average Joe. We're on a trio of educators. In the last episode, we met Savannah Spillers. In this episode, we'll meet Jason Johnston. It's not just showing up. It's not just completing the blanks. You go and shopping for yourself, but you end up saying, oh my God, my classroom needs this. Oh my God, this child would let me get this uh, because I could use this for this project or I could use this to help this child is what shopping becomes when you're a teacher. (laughs) It doesn't become shopping for yourself. I'm Dodie Axelson, host of Get to Know an Average Joe. Jason Johnston, you said you're a little nervous. Could it be because we're in the principal's office? <laughs> that could be it, yes. <laughs> I did not spend a lot of time in the principal's office as a kid, did you? No, no. I hardly ever had to go to the principal's office. It was only for positive things, never for anything negative. <laughs> right, very nice. And today it's positive as yeah, well. Good, good. You are the principal of West Hill Elementary School here in Mexico City. How did you get here? Oh my gosh. <laughs> Big question. Here? That's a huge question and it's not it's not a short story by any means. So if I st- oh gosh, if I start from the very beginning. Start from the very beginning. Okay, you awesome. were born. Okay. <laughs> well, I was born in a small no. Um, it all started in New Orleans. I was doing work. It was a workshop, it was a conference type thing. So I was working with a lot of different groups from South America, from North America mainly. And so from that experience, I uh, met a lot of new people, made some really good friends, and then, of course, met a very special... Your love. Yes, and met a very special person during that time as well. It was uh, over the process of three days, and then the courtship started, and it didn't stop until I landed in Mexico City. (laughs) Which was about two years ago now. Almost two years ago, yes. How long were you long distance? For a very short time. We met in December... December 13th, to be exact, and then long distance until July 14th, so maybe six months. Is that because it's just difficult with a long-distance relationship, or why did you take the leap to move across an international border to be with your love? I've always been a believer in my instinct. I've always been a believer that the universe communicates to you in some way, and everything about it felt right. And so I never once had a doubt. Every move that I made, every interview during the whole six months of the process, of the packing, of the telling my friends and telling my family that I'm making this decision, nothing ever felt wrong. It always felt right. Mm. It reminds me a little bit of a story. I had a ballet teacher in my youth, and when she moved to Seattle, she said her car was parked outside the apartment she was going to move into, and somebody else was moving as well, and the refrigerator dropped on her car. And she thought, this is not going to go well. And yet she stayed, you know, more than 15 years in Seattle. So anyway, so all of the omens were good. There was no refrigerator drop. No, luckily there was no refrigerator. (laughs) I think amazingly, I got my entire life in six months into three suitcases. I was able to distribute my furniture, my extra clothes, my belongings into one small closet for storage, the rest in other people's homes, and then three suitcases for Mexico. Well done. Well done. (laughs) What is life like here as an expat in Mexico City? Life here. I think you always have that anxiety and that trepidation when you're moving somewhere new, whether it be in your own country or whether it be outside of a country. The new sounds, the new language, the new 
culture, just walking on the street is far different than walking on the street in Atlanta, Georgia. So I think when I first got here, it was just loving the smells, loving the country, loving the food, meeting. I don't love all the smells <laughs> here. I can't say I love all the smells. Well, let me say, I, smells of the food. Okay, there you go. All, no, Mex- Mexico City, there needs to be a museum of the smells of Mexico City. <laughs> I think after that initial just kind of even though it's anxiety, it's kind of a healthy anxiety. It's a love of getting to know something new. But it keeps you smart, maybe. It keeps us smart, exactly, especially learning a new language. I think once you get in, then you find the difficulties. <laughs> but they're not, they were, they were, my difficulties in the city were never to the extreme of that I want to move away. My love for the country has never left, but, um, or the love of the city, I should say. Well, country as well. There's some difficulties in learning how to process paperwork. I think that's the... (laughs) And there is, unfortunately, still a lot of paper. We're not quite so digital yet. We are not quite so digital, and there's a lot of paper. So, and I think learning that process and, you know, having someone get on to you because you signed a piece of paper in blue ink and not in black ink is always a lot of fun. (laughs) Yes, that sounds familiar. Does your expat experience in any way inform your job as principal of a school with international students and international parents? Actually, I think tremendously. I think my experience from the States uh, and working in schools there for 15 years, I believe that experience and that structure and that, that knowledge is very much something that I'm working on to implement here in an, in an international school. About two years ago, you leapt from a life in the United States that you were familiar with, to a life in Mexico, to a career in the classroom, and now you made the leap into the principal's office as well. Describe that change from the classroom to the principal's office. Wow. Actually, it's not as scary, and it's not as difficult as you think, or as I thought it would be. Uh, I think I, in my head, this is just who I am as a person. I worry and I carry anxiety. But uh, that's why you're this long and lean right. because of all of this anxiety, you're just burning calories right, all the right, time. Right. I, 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 I hope that's the case. Or <laughs> so I hope I keep this. <laughs> I don't want to lose the, the. Despite all the tacos. Despite all the tacos, you have to embrace the unknown, and you have to. Uh, embrace standing on the edge of the cliff. And I think once once I surpassed that, but I also had a good team of friends as well that was that I w- would always be able to talk to and always had the support in coming into into this position. Here at the school, your team of friends here? Here at the school and outside outside of the school. It's intimidating and it's exciting. I never wanted it, but I honestly never wanted to be a principal ever because uh, I enjoy working with kids. And I enjoy being around kids and I enjoy being in a classroom. And so I miss that tremendously because my life is more paper. It's more emails. It's more meetings. It's, mm-hmm. And so a little bit less interaction. Maybe this is, this is a kind of position where you can really see the system of education changing. Mm-hmm. And, and that in our world, it really is happening. Education is mm-hmm. no way the same for, our, for my kids okay. as it was for me. How are you dealing with this this almost like jellyish amoeba-like system that is changing so rapidly now. My experience coming from the States is what's helping me the most right now 
is because I'm able to use a lot of the knowledge that I gained, a lot of my education, a lot of a lot of training into put in some some best practices into the school. And that's what I kind of like because I feel like I'm in a situation now where even though there's that jelly, it's clean. It's not dirty, it's not it's not full of fruit, which I don't want to eat jelly with uh, jelly, <laughs> jelly with fruit in it. Um, so and so I think that's the that's the great thing now is that I was able to come in with something a little bit clean and I'm able to build and work with the teachers and work with the staff to build something that I feel like is going to stay when I leave. So give me a for instance. I think a for instance is just being able to work with teachers to establish best practices, if you will, to be able to provide them the support and the coaching for uh, right now with the school for how to have a classroom that really looks at each individual student and be able to create a plan in your classroom that's going to best suit the needs. Is that one way that education is different today? Is it a much more personal experience for a student? I think for me and my experience, yes. And that's, that's what I love about the, the change that, that we have in education. I know that there, it's, it's more of a focus on relationships and building a relationship with the child, but it's also building a mindfulness. It's a mindfulness of the teacher and their strengths and weaknesses, but also a teacher, I don't know what the right word is, it's... it's I want to say being a little bit vulnerable with your students as well. And that way that you're able to share your experiences and your weaknesses, but also help the child be more mindful of their strengths and weaknesses and making goals together in the classroom as opposed to the teacher standing and being the all-knowing, omniscient one. (laughs) With a ruler. Right, right. right. (laughs) Why did you pick education as a career when 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 it was younger Jason Johnston what did you imagine for yourself I think in some way that and I don't want to sound like I'm bragging on myself but in some way I feel like I'm an intuitive person and so I think I have a very vivid memory of the good and the bad of being a child you know so our parents make mistakes and we make mistakes and and I think they, they stayed with me, and in some way, growing up, having that experience as a child, that intuition and that memory, I can still get vivid memories of when I was very young, and, but I also have very vivid memories of teachers and those positive experiences that I had with teachers, and I think that always stayed with me, and I always, in some way, uh, something that I can see now that maybe I couldn't couldn't see then is that I wanted to be able to provide something positive and something back to children. I know when I first started, I wanted to be a math, because I loved math. And I think it was because I had a teacher, a math teacher that influenced me in high school, very much so. And it was when I started to fall in love with math. I love my math teacher too. It does. It uh, makes all the difference. It makes a lot of difference. And so, and then when I went to college, I was a math major, but then calculus kicked my butt. <laughs> and so after a year of calculus, I was like, I, or after a semester of calculus, I said, I can't, no, I'm not doing this. I was also not ready for college. So I was one of those people who had a semester of college. And in that first semester I had calculus. So I, I pretty much made straight C's and an incomplete. And so I left. And then I started working with children after that, uh, you know, working with after-school programs and became a teacher's aide. And every, once, once I began 
working with younger children, I, I, I couldn't go back. And so... So do you think teaching is a calling or a profession? I think it's a calling. I think you... you I, I believe in learning, and I think a person can learn to be a good teacher. Part of me feels if you don't have that internal motivation to provide something and that you have the desire to provide this level of service, because it's not... It's not just showing up. It's not just completing the blanks. And the paycheck it's, is not that beautiful. And the paycheck is not beautiful. And you spend your own money. Uh, <laughs> you know, you know, you know, because I spend so many times in stores, you go and shopping for yourself, but you end up saying, oh my God, my classroom needs this. Oh my God, this child would, let me get this uh, because I could use this for this project or I could use this to help this child is what shopping becomes when you're a teacher. <laughs> it doesn't become shopping for yourself. So yes, you can learn best practices. You can you can go to school, but I think that lack of internal motivation is not going to support you. With that internal motivation to provide something better for for just humankind, I think you have to almost feel like you're helping the human race. Not to sound all, you know. <laughs> I hear the choir warming up in the background. <laughs> right. I don't need a violin behind me, but <laughs> but I think that that. That calling keeps you motivated and it keeps you, it keeps you going in the relationships that you form with your students and to see their growth and to see those light bulbs and that's what keeps you going. One more question about education, changing education. How does technology change education these days? <laughs> well, if, you know, even in primary, it's hard to keep uh, the iPad or the, the iPhone out of our students' hands. <laughs> so You say it like it's evil, but it's no, also, no. I mean, it's, it's I guess, a, a dual-edged blade. It's, it's a dual-edged blade, and so the implications are actually pretty great. The positives are obviously the world is at our fingertips, but what we as educators and we even as administrators, the other side is we have to really take time to teach how to use these devices and how to use social media. How to stay safe. How to stay safe, exactly. And so for, I think, in my situation now, it's really developing policies for our school and also developing in our curriculum ways that we are educating children how to use it safely because we're finding that our kids' usage right now is much more advanced than us as far as what we've done to teach how to use these devices correctly and how... They're so fast, I know. They are so fast, and so they are light years ahead of us, but also educating our teachers to use technology effectively in the classroom so that we're not instilling... I mean, for me as an administrator, my goal is to not instill Google as the only research tool in the world. <laughs> and that every answer does not come in a web page. <laughs> that, you know, so we have to read those web pages, but we have to also teach our children how to decipher what information is correct and what's not correct and what's, and what's adequate to use, so to speak. Maybe an interesting problem for a principal to have. So sitting in this chair is kind of a nice place to be for that problem. Right. <laughs> well, yeah, you could, yeah, that is true. That is true to some degree. Yes, yes. As we speak here, we're approaching the end of the school year. Um, what is next for Jason Johnston? Oh, my gosh, what is next? Vacation. <laughs> Cancun. Uh, <laughs> beautiful beaches. Uh, and drinks uh, is in my near future. In my, in my fu next future is I'm looking forward to another year 
another positive year, I think, here in Mexico, and I'm very excited about that, and some, some better goals. We did some goals of this year of gaining trust, and trust is a hard thing to gain. You know, trust is very important with students, and it's very important with the community and, and with our teachers. And now that we have that trust, we're, we are creating some great goals, I think, that are going to have our children excelling even more uh, at this school. And that's what I'm looking forward to for next year. Thanks for the chat, Jason. Thank you very much. It's always a pleasure to see you. That is grade school principal Jason Johnston speaking to us from Mexico City. Next time, you'll get to know Diego Zaragoza. You may be Mexican in a 99% Mexican environment in high school, But you need to think like an American. You need to get an education. You need to pursue an education to become something better. And in my community, something better always meant, what are Caucasians doing? I hope you'll join us then. I am your host, Dodie Axelson. Reach me on Twitter at Dodie Ax. And subscribe to Get to Know an Average Joe on iTunes or on your favorite podcast app. Now, with all due credit to Seattle radio legend Jim French, if you'll excuse me.